Hey, it's Rebecca, and you can hear new episodes of No Limits four days early on TuneIn. You might have heard that we launched our first episode of RJ Answers, where I'm taking your career questions. So if you want a chance to talk to me on No Limits about your career, about questions, about your future, send me an email at nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you. I literally, I don't think if you put 10,000 people in a room and said, does she have a shot at this? You would get a unanimous 10,000 people saying she doesn't have a shot at this. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, you might remember her story from David O. Russell's film, Joy, starring Jennifer Lawrence. But for the first time, Joy Mangano is telling her full story by herself. She's the woman behind the Miracle Mop and countless other inventions that have generated more than $3 billion. So how did the once aspiring veterinarian and single mother of three become one of the top sellers in HSN and QVC history? You're about to find out. Joy Mangano, welcome to No Limits. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. And I know No Limits. <laughs> <laughs> well, your career knows No Limits. Aww. Legendary inventor, famously known for the Miracle Mop and many other inventions. Your life story is a movie. Yeah. Joy, played by none other than Jennifer Lawrence. Your inventions have generated more than three billion dollars amazing three billion dollars in sales around the world i talked a lot (laughs) (laughs) a hundred patents and trademarks your book inventing joy was just released you have an incredible life story take us back to 1990 you are a single mother of three you are waitressing nights and weekends just to put food on the table exactly well you know as so many can identify with the everybody has obstacles in life and that pretty much was probably the hardest lowest point in my life to be saying, how am I going to do this, right? And so, of course, the book takes you through this whole journey in a very deep way where the movie couldn't, uh, you know, for Mm -hmm. time's sake. And um, like so many people, I say that you absolutely have to keep moving forward, trying, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And I was doing all those things. And at the same time, I, I was so fortunate to be able to say to myself, listen, you really have to figure out what it is that makes you happy, therefore making the children happy, making you know your life happy. So I said, that's it. I'm going to try to do what I've always been doing. I was always blowing up toasters and changing you know things into other products. And I said, I am going to follow through with this idea and I'm going to put one step, one step at a time. And that's what I did. And so I, you know, the book takes you through the lessons that were learned and earned by me. And you have, throughout the book, you have these light bulbs that are essentially the the lessons, to, the takeaways. One of the things I thought was really interesting, you know, you talk about your childhood yeah. and how you were always playing with toasters and blowing things up. And one of the original stories in the book is about your dog, Duke. Yep. And there's an accident and you think after the accident, there must be a better way to care for him than yep. the way that the doctor is essentially prescribed. Yes, exactly, exactly. So so I, I, I was a little skinny girl in a middle-class family, and my dog, we had a little in-ground pool in the back, and my German shepherd, who I you know raised from a puppy, um, fell in the pool, and nobody saw that. But me, yeah, I pulled him out, and 
the bandages that they had on him were just terrible. We had it took hours to remove them. So I invented for him little dog booties, that, <laughs> so that we just had the, the gauze, you know, underneath it, and then the booties would come off. And so you know, I was always doing things like that, and it was. You know, something I talk about a lot in the book is empathy, right? So, and it's the way I always looked at life, and that's the way I am design product now. That's the way successful, mm. I think, business people or anybody who is successful, whether it be medical fields, wherever it is, if you have empathy for your consumer, and the consumer can be a patient, can, the consumer can be somebody who walks into a bakery or somebody who buys a product, everybody's a consumer. And if you truly put yourself in their space, and feel for them if you are trying to do something for them. And for me, it's creating product. That's why I feel I'm always pretty right on because I am them. We all, you know, I think in their brain. I wake up thinking what will they want, whether it's from a feature, a benefit, or even a color, right? You, Yeah. You say in the book everything. You look at everything as a product. Yeah. You are the dream, right? $3 billion in sales oh, worldwide. Yeah. That is the dream. And to constantly be coming up with new things and have each one of these new inventions following the right. Miracle Mop be successful. Right. How do you orient your thinking in that way? I, I think the most important thing I'm going to talk about, you know, how I look at everything as a product. But, you know, you really, you you, you have to go back and you have to think about on all aspects of life, right? It's your family's a product, right? Your career's a product. So if you have a can opener in your house and it's not working, you say, I'm going to go get a new one, right? So if you're, you know, how many times I hear people say, oh, my, you know, I'm doing great in my career, but my kids are out of control. Well, that's even more important. That's a more important product, in my opinion. How to get your kids yeah, under control right? is a product. Is a product because, right, if your family's not working right and, you know, that leads into, that is, you know, so we forget that we have to step back and say, I have to fix this, not let it keep happening and they're going to grow up and grow out of it. And I always meshed everything together. So I looked at my whole life the way it's not business is one set of principles and families another. The whole thing meshes together. So therefore, if you take the time to sit back and view everything as a product, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your family, your children or parents, or whether it's a career. And if you look at that, if a product isn't right or you don't like it, you don't buy it. Or if it's not working, you, you have to get a new one, right? So what are you doing? Your, li your life is a product. Am I living my – am I waking up every morning and like I can't wait to get out of bed, right? Is that – if you're not thinking that, you can. Everybody has it in them to change their world. That you can't – anybody that says my life is my life and that's what it is – I look at them and I say, it's absolutely untrue. Everybody has the power to change their life and hence change the world. So what do you think it is in 1990 when you invented the Miracle Mop? What do you think it is that truly was that game-changing decision in that context that changed your world? Right. Well, it was my decision, as I tell everybody, to go take one step at a time. But if you have something that you're passionate about... So for me, it was an invention, right? I finally stopped saying, uh, when people say, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a mom, right? Of course I'm a mom, right? I never could, you know, if I played the piano, I could say I'm a pianist, right? If sure. I was a doctor or a nurse, I could say I'm a nurse. Saying you're an inventor, they want to put you in the corner at the cocktail party, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, so what 
change there is that I said that little voice that we all have, that fearful voice as we get older, no, 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 don't do that. No, no, you can't do that. I said, I'm going to try to do that, and I'm going to do it one step at a time. I didn't risk my three children, my family, none of it. I just, they were part of it all. And each step along the way, I finally got there. And then I kept going, and I was living my passion finally. I was always blowing up toasters, but I didn't know it was my passion to create product. So, you know, and I'm just talking about it for me personally, but it applies to every genre, every career, man, woman, child, everybody. If you can live your passion, I say the day just begins every day. What percent of the time do you come up with an invention that you just essentially don't even pursue? That it's like it's an idea that hits you and then it goes on. Oh, there's a lot. You know what? Because it's so amazing that you only have a certain amount of time. And there are some inventions that, that you know, we're going to change an industry um, in 2018. And it's 10 years of science, right? So it's um, wonderful. So there's, there are, you know, you only have, I haven't invented 25 or 26 hours in a day yet, but I will. <laughs> um, so there are many great ideas. There's, you know, Everybody has a great idea, right. basically, right? It's a matter of what they do with it, how they execution, change, execution, very good, and um, so, and I know that because I hear them a lot, you know. So, um, you know, so there are a lot that I haven't done yet, but you just wait because <laughs> I think I think one of the questions that I ask myself as somebody who randomly comes up with things, and I'm not an inventor because I've yet to patent or come up with anything that's an actual thing on a store but shelf. But I'm going to stop you right there okay? because you don't have to be an expert, right? I was not an expert in the industry of mops and brooms, and I had, you know, there was nothing about me that was expert, so to speak, in that arena. But I knew I had an idea that made mopping better. Right. So that's, you know, and that's what I say. Don't think that you have to be an expert in something. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, there are no experts. You know, somebody who might think they're an expert is only an expert until the next idea comes out that makes that next person an expert, right? That's a really good point. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm thinking about the type of things that you want to have in place because obviously there is there's there's a financial yeah. component to all of this people think it's such this leap of financial faith right you know and it's not that way at all in a mm. lot of cases and i have to tell you we are in 2017 there are so many people every Every company, even where I am today, HSN, QVC, there are, we're always looking for great product, always looking for great products. So there are so many philanthropic places. Um, you know, the Joy Mangano Foundation, we've partnered with Rising Tide, young entrepreneurs, they're discovering, putting them, connecting them with financial institutions. You know, you have great companies like WeWork as well. HSN, we have a program called American Dreamers. So it's, you can always today, if this all existed, when I was starting, I have to tell you, I wouldn't have started in the back of an auto body shop with a dusty desk. <laughs> it's interesting, though, the number of resources that you're pointing to. So Truly. if you have an invention, Google, essentially, yes, you're right. resources for inventors, Very and good. you're going to find places Absolutely. That, that can help you and yep. actually fund you and incubate your idea early exactly. on. And there are a lot of startup you know, companies. There, there so, there's so much opportunity, and it also helps you flush out you know what you what i create sometimes doesn't end up the product can be very different 
and always better, but it, it goes into these morphs along the way. So you have to know that that path is going to change. And certainly anybody that has a great idea, there is not one reason in the world not to follow through with it, whether it's opening a bakery or inventing the new latest, greatest gadget, right? I agree. I, I'm you, You're making me wish I, I, well, you're making me feel like I should invent something. Not wish, but should do something. Well, you are doing something, and you should be very (laughs) proud. And if you're passionate about that, this is your product, right? You are informing so many people with what you do. That is a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Who are the most important people in your world that help you accomplish the things that you've accomplished? Oh, well, that's a very good question. Um, First of all, I, you know, as an adult and... You know, certainly in the beginning with the Miracle Mop, and you know, and and all the um, foreign territory and path that I had to go through there. I mean, I, I even ended up dealing with gangsters. I mean, the book really tells it all. <laughs> I love it. the story oh, around that. Is yeah. I mean, it, incredible. It is incredible. But all as well. So I found this crazy, zany, amazing, light, bright person, and I talk about light surrounding yourself with light, bright people. Her name was Ronnie. We were P, the head of the PTA together, and you. You know, I was talking to her about the mop and she's like, that's a great idea. I'll help you do it. And from that, she just recently retired about a couple months ago, worked with me for so many years and went through all these obstacles and was part of the growth. But as of, you know, the last many years of my life, almost 15 years, my children who mm. I you know, meshed into this whole experience. They went off to have their incredible careers. My son graduated Columbia Law School, was a, you know, a lawyer in one of the most famous law firms. My daughter with with a PR agency was so successful. My other daughter, a fashion expert. And they, at the end of the day, they are working with me. And without them, I absolutely could not do what I'm doing today in such amazing, large ways. And giving back, you know, starting philanthropic endeavors with, you know, various companies, you know, uh, there's just so much to give back. Now, my lessons learned, this book, if I had this book when I was 30, I'm telling you, I wouldn't have been able to write the book. (laughs) But that's that's the inventor in you where you're going back and you're saying, what do I wish I knew when I was starting that this is the wisdom of experience? Yes, one of the one of those light bulb moments that I really liked was the idea of the shifting our skis. Yes. Because I think so many people find themselves in a moment like that. Yep. So, you know, listen, I when I was little, you know, I I thought I wanted to be one thing. Then I, you know, thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then I ended up graduating and I worked for the airlines, right? And you know, and then I was waitressing and I was making, you know. So I, I took me a it took me a very long time in life to find to finally define what I was really good at and what I kept rounding about my whole life. But all of us. Life is a path and it's a fluid path. And if you're, and you know, when I say you have to be able to shift your skis, so anybody that says this is my path in life and I have to stay on it, if they are, if it's not the right path for them, I'm going to tell them absolutely don't stay on it. There is everything right about taking and redis, you know, rediscovering yourself and rediscovering the path you could be taking or should be taking. And these are not, sometimes they're drastic in a good way. And sometimes they're just little shifts that make all the difference. But who we are, you know, when I was 20, 
and even 40 is not who I am today. So if you don't always rediscover yourself and really take a look at yourself and say, am I happy? Am I making mm-hmm. the people around, you know, because if you're not happy, you can't really help anybody around you. And am I am I leading the life that truly makes me you know, excited when I get up that really, you know, that ignites me every day. If you're not, you can be so easily. That's a really big point. You can be living a life like that. And the book gives you the tools to do it. I give you those tools and you will have so much fun reading it that you won't, those light bulb moments when they come in the book, you'll be like, oh, I get it. And then you'll, you'll be already applying it back to your own life. It is a very easy read. I like it. The chapters are very bite-sized. You can take in a big lesson in a matter of a few pages. One of the stories that I I really enjoyed in the book is your decision to sell the company to HSN and then to go work with HSN. And I I think it's an interesting story because it raises, for me, thinking about it from a business standpoint, you talk about your lawyer and you talk about going in with the price that you believe you're worth, which your lawyer tells you no way. That's like way out of the ballpark. Right. That's way you too high. You have to start higher, right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, and right, it's too high to begin with. Exactly. And you have to start higher, right? right. Exactly. Exactly. So, walk us through that experience and the decision because you were at QVC at the time. You were really happy. Uh huh. Yes. So, you know, it's very interesting. And now both companies are yeah, coming together exactly. again. Life is one big circle. And right. I talk about that. Right. So, it, yes. So I, you know, I've done nothing my whole life, even when I stand in front of 100 million homes, in, you know, people in America for 25 years, I speak from my heart. And so in business, it took me a while, but I learned that you have to be absolutely honest. You, the way you are at home, you're not. It's not different. The principles aren't different when you walk through the door at an office or wherever you are. Mm-hmm. So you know. Hence, when the time came, you know, I was inventing product and in an industry, that electronic retailing industry at the time, um, it was, you know, one big thing at a time, right? And everything, all my, the stakes were on that, the success of the mop. The success what year was the, this? This was around 1995, 96, 97. And the success of the jewel kit, right? There was, you know, and, and huggable hanger. And, um, and so when Barry Diller, um, you know, said... I want you to, he owned, you know, many things at the time. And he said, I want you to be part of it. You'll be an executive and you'll be able to do more. We'll have more resources. And that really excited me, right? Because as I said, with success, you don't just kind of relax. And maybe some people do, but with success, yeah. I say, if you love what you're doing, you're going to just do more of it, right? And that's exactly And there's what... some pressure to do more of it too. Yeah. Because you don't want to be a one-hit wonder. You exactly. don't, every, it's kind of like, how good is you're never as good as your last invention you've always got to be churning it out always another one exactly no that's exactly right so and I just want to go back to that honesty thing with the so my lawyer told me that he said you know you must up numbers too high and you also have to start higher and I looked at him I said you know what um like and I'm gonna tell I'm gonna bet you a dime that we're gonna end up if I sell the company we're gonna end up selling it for that amount more from our discussion after a quick word from our sponsor Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? Um, Like, I'm going to tell, I'm going to bet you a dime 
that we're going to end up, if I sell the company, we're going to end up selling it for that amount. And so he owes me, he owed me a dime when we were done. <laughs> because at the end of the day, really smart people, good people, and Barry Diller is one of them, they kind, they know, you know, they just, they, you, 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 Develop a relationship as well with people in business, and that's a beautiful thing. It seems like having a a good lawyer at your side to protect yourself is a really important part of all of this. Well, I have to tell you, um, I would agree with that because my – and now my son's a lawyer. Right? I was thinking that (laughs) when you said Columbia Law School. Because – and in business, there – you always – you know, that's part and parcel that, you know, with business just like manufacturing or, you know, it's all the things that I do – I think um, I think surrounding yourself, the law, uh, a lawyer falls under surrounding yourself with light, bright, and bright in the sense of smart people that will give you smart advice. And you know, because it's so easy to surround, because we ourselves say, you know, that that little voice that comes up, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't veer from what you're doing. No, that's a big risk, and you need people to be able to talk that through with Mm -hmm. and you need I personally tend to hire people and surround myself with people that have a little bit of that um, risk-taking factor because and it's you know that ability to say yes it could be possible as to opposed to no it's not possible that's a whole different you know, the metabolism. Shut it down it's, right. It's a different metabolism entirely. So I'm surrounded by all these creative people, and we're always thinking about all the possibilities to make your life a little better. There are a lot of people out there who probably think I'm not good at sales, and you're famous for going on television. And if it hadn't been you selling the Miracle Mop, we know this. It's a fact. When it wasn't you. The Miracle Mop didn't sell, but you're, when you yes. were there and it was in your hand and you were the one doing it. So what is the secret to being good at sales? Right. Oh, well, uh, first of all, you can't freeze and not speak. <laughs> no, but I think this true secret is when you are selling, so to speak, and people tell me, I don't even feel like you're selling me, Joy. I feel like you're giving me information so that I can make a decision whether I want something or not. So when you truly are passionate and believe in what you're selling, so to speak, and I'm going to put that in quotes, I think that resonates. And and it's just like, you know, it's just like somebody talking about their children. If you say, how, you know, how are your children? They'll go on because it's that love. It's that passion. And it becomes organic. And that's what I do. It's, it, you know, and I've done it for 25 years. I literally, it's so easy for me to do. And I don't even think of it as selling because I'm talking about something I'm very passionate about that I feel will change and help somebody's life, just even if it makes it a little better, right? The, a little feature on uh, my little steamer, you know, that uh, that you don't have to pull out the iron and ironing board if you can't. You just have to just steam away in you, 10 seconds and you're done, right? So I, you know, and I think about that when, you know, I'm live in front of people or, you know, with all the products and and the products themselves really don't need my voice, in a lot of play because they're all over the place because the branding I've built that foundation and when they see a joy product they know that there's it stands something, for something exactly they know there's innovation in there that's meaningful not just for innovation's sake that's I think that's the the dream of anybody who who is an inventor they hope to get to that point where it's yes. not just the one product it's all of the products something I think that's interesting that you did um, 
with your career is rather than just with the Miracle Mop, it could have you could have just created a company called Miracle Mop uh, exactly. at, in 1990 because that yeah. was your invention. But that's not what you did. Right. You created an LLC that you ultimately sold. What was the thinking at that time? Because I think a lot of people, you know, if you create one thing and right. you're just starting, That's you're right. not thinking about creating an LLC, probably. Right, right. To, to be the house for many Exactly, things. right. So uh, there, are, there, are, there are many forms of it. So if I had invented the iPhone, maybe I would stop there and stay in that, <laughs> right, you know, and be, and be keeping, improving on it, right? But for me, it was, again, it's innovation. I cross all categories. So the mop was one, but as you had asked before... My mind is always thinking about product because I'm always seeing people in life and saying, oh, how could I make that? You know, if somebody is struggling with something, I'm thinking, I'm looking at analyzing what is that struggle and what product could make that, that their life a little better there. So for me, it didn't stop there. I knew that I was going to build a company of innovative products because that's what I always did and didn't realize as I was growing up. And now that the selling the company gave me the platform a bigger platform of resources to just keep doing it in more of a way and so everybody has to analyze their own situation and don't let any of this intimidate anybody because you know I started what in the back of an auto body shop on a one dusty desk with a drawing and trying to make it happen I'm telling you if I can do it Anybody can do it. You just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, and that path will change many times. You will fail at a couple areas, but you just get, you know, that that just gives you more of an education as to which direction to go in and how to shift your skis. And, and I mean, the, the story when you're in the factory and the molds were stolen, for oh, example. Gosh. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, talk about having a setback. <laughs> That's more than a setback. That's I literally I don't think if you put 10,000 people in a room and said, does she have a shot at this? You would get a unanimous uh, 10,000 people saying she doesn't have a shot at this. It was really amazing. And that was due to many things due to me being the honest person having, you know, being in the situation where, you know, there were unscrupulous people that were trying, you know, they saw the success the first time with me on TV and they said, okay, we're going to take advantage of that. Get her out of the way. She says, who is she? Right. And so well, you have to read the book, everybody. But, <laughs> but it was really, you know, right, right. Overcoming wrong. Right. So I, and, and, you know, we went into court and all my lawyers at the time, right. Said there is no way a judge is going to say, because I had to fill an order. Right. And they were trying to take the molds away. And they said, there's no way a judge is going to say, okay, Joy, you can have the molds. And it's a little more complicated than that. But this judge, this court made a decision for me that made history, they, that made history and was written about for years on end. They, they, you know, they saw in front of them that I rightfully should have those molds. And these gangsters were trying to pull a fast one. And that judge was... I mean, to this day, I can see his face and I thank him because he went out of his boundaries probably in the sense of it's easier for me to say, let me analyze this for years on end or months on end. And he said, tomorrow, he said to these guys, tomorrow, the sheriffs are going to come to your manufacturing plant and you're going to hand over those molds 
otherwise you're going to jail. And he looked at me straight in the eyes. He said, Joy, you'll be there, won't you? And I said, of course. (laughs) And it literally is a moment in life that I'll never forget. Never. What do you think it is? I mean, is it fate? No, it's not giving up, number one. You have to be realistic, right, about things. And But it's it's some of it is life is guided. I I would be lying if I didn't think some of it's guided. But but we create, you know, some people say, is it luck or is it? I think we create that ourselves. So if I hadn't kept prevailing, if I hadn't kept saying, let me look, let me see what's going on. Let me find out, you know, let me me gather. Exactly. It's really getting all the facts, putting it together. And at least you have a shot at it. Whereas if you don't, it would have been gone. So I wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't be talking. You know, it wouldn't have been anything like this if I hadn't done that. That was a that that just changed the whole course, not only of my career, but my life and my children's lives. So I say to everybody, and as you read the book, just apply it, (laughs) just apply it to yourself. Right. Because everybody has challenges in one form or another just like that. They may not be as obvious and extreme, but it is sitting back and saying, how do I, if I want to change this, let me try it bit by bit. Mm -hmm. Let me try it at least, right? If I want to change my life, if I feel stuck, if I'm, you know, if something's happened in life, very sad, how do I get out of that? I talk through all of it because as a young mother, I, I got very, very sick. And I, and, you know, and I said, it's time I have to find the courageous joy. I have three little kids. It really strikes me. There's an optimism that, that seems like it runs through you. And I wonder where you think that comes from. Were you, as a kid, did you always feel that? Were you encouraged? I think a lot of parents wonder how to raise children who are natural problem solvers, who aren't going to quit, and who are going to keep trying to overcome. Exactly. Well, and that's something that's in all of us. We all have it. It's a matter of getting into yourself and pulling it out. I still, though, to this day, I still have that little voice that'll say, no, 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 you can't do that. Or no, you have to, you have to be afraid of that, you know, and, and you have to tamp that down and you have to say, well, let me try this. Let me look at this. Don't let me not listen to the no in my head, the fear, you know, because it was so interesting. Recently I spoke and a large woman's group was there and they said that biggest obstacle and I'm an advocate for everybody but I happen to be a woman so <laughs> um so uh, and they said the biggest obstacle for these women to go into business to do anything anything is fear getting past the fear factor now I'm 61 and I'm thinking hello I need a light bulb over my head I'm thinking the fear factor that just shocked me so mm-hmm. much so of course I'm going to back to speak to them all mm-hmm. um, because that's to me, is it's like the come easiest on, move thing. past that. Exactly, and 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 there's a lot of harder stuff out there. Exactly, that, that like actually, exactly. Yeah, I get it. And it's so, a, it's so a mental. I'm going to change that figure of the ninety percent fear. Awesome. <laughs> I like that you're going to do that. It's yeah. important, and it's. Uh, I would like to see less people feel that fear. Toughest lesson for you? Oh boy, um, that I can't do it all. Mm. Yep. When did you learn that? Yes. Well, um, you know, so I'm a young mom and I and I actually talk to the young women that work for me a lot today because th- they, you know, 
three hours of getting the kids up, getting them dressed, taking them here, you know, and getting themselves dressed, preparing something for business. They look like a million bucks every time they come in and then they go home and they do, you know, and they put in this amazing day and, and, and I look at them sometimes and I listen to what they're doing and I'm like, you have to stop. You cannot check every box. And that's exactly what I was doing as a young mother. I had my children one year after the other, the three of them. And, uh, you know, and they, here I am alone with them. And I'm, and I just was trying to check off every box, do everything. I wasn't even thinking about eating or sleeping. And I literally, my body said, time out, time out. You are crashing here. And, and it was, it was very scary and very sad. And, and I, I had to literally pull myself up from the bottom of a well and I said, I'm never going to risk myself like that again for my children's sake or for anybody's sake around me. So, you know, hardest lesson. And I would and I and my biggest advice now is to say you don't have to do it all and you don't have to check every box every day for sure. Your children, if you love them, your family, your mom, your dad, if you love them, they know it and you don't have to be everything to everybody. Running short on time, but I have two questions. One, how do you structure your day so that you can accomplish all the things that you set out to accomplish, right? but well, not overextend yourself? Right. Well, no, yeah. So I am very organized as you might guess <laughs> and i and i'm and i'm fine with it being thrown off as well but i you know and i do and if i can't get to everything i make sure that i do eventually right and at the end of the day i i you know i i just i would stay up all night if i could but i do say to myself you have to sleep a little bit because i can't wait to start all over again <laughs> so it's good to structure your day but you also have to be flexible enough because uh, there have been days where all of a sudden something will happen and we'll be going down a lane of discovery that's so exciting and i'm sure it's that way in a lot of fields in the medical field and your in every every field every day even though you as well as you can plan it there's those amazing things that come up and you have to let that guide you. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I completely agree. You have to be open to it. Okay. Last question. Worst advice you've received along the way? Oh, boy. Um, well, uh, so we might say a so-called expert in the merchandising world in a major chain-wide store uh, told me that when I went finally got a meeting, said that nobody, now you got to bring your brain back to 1990, right? Uh, around that time. Nobody will pay more than $5 for a mop. They will. They don't want a mop that lasts forever. They're, they want to use it. If it breaks, they want to buy another one. You're never going to sell one mop. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> How did you, because I think there's a lot of people who get told no, that their thing isn't going to work. How did you know what did you need to know to 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 conflict with conventional wisdom somebody who had been around the block right. millions exactly. of times more than you exactly so you have to think of you have to think of yourself and the people around you that you trust their opinions and every i mean every for myself i knew i you know and it seems kind of corny to say it now but i said i to myself as a as a consumer I love this. This is really the solution, right? You don't have to get your hands wet, you know, you know, and it really mops well and you can put it in the washing machine and get it germ-free and all that. 
and the people around me. And when I would demonstrate it live, like little flea markets, women would go crazy, right? So I always felt I was in the heart of the consumer. I knew what the consumer wanted, and I that's what I oh every day is cons- is consumed by that, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so. That's part of the book. You know, remember, there are no experts, and don't ever forget that. The book is called Inventing Joy. Congratulations on everything. Joy Mangano, thank you so much for joining me on No Limits. Thank you. It was really great to be here, Rebecca. It was a thrill to chat with you. Thank you. And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And our No Limits Entrepreneur this week is Wendy Sachs, who is nominated by No Limits listener Margie Cater. Wendy is the author of Fearless and Free, How Smart Women Pivot and Relaunch Their Careers. She's based in South Orange, New Jersey, a graduate of Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. She's worn a number of hats throughout her career, as she puts it, I've pivoted so much in my career, I'm practically pirouetting. Some of her former roles include Capitol Hill Press Secretary, TV News Producer, Editor-in-Chief of Care.com, PR Exec, On-Air Spokesperson for TripAdvisor, quite the assortment there. She thinks of herself as a multi-hyphenate, an author, a writer, producer, and media hack. Her biggest turning point was getting fired. She was working at an advertising agency in 2014, and they told her she was going to be let go because they couldn't afford her anymore. This led to her game-changing decision, which was to stop fearing failure. She asked herself, what if we're okay with the idea of failure? It led her to dig into the topic, and it eventually led to her writing a book. If she could go back and give herself advice, Wendy says to be kinder to herself and to get better at appreciating the moment, not agonizing about what's next or what didn't happen, but to celebrate the successes along the way. Totally agree with that advice, Wendy. I try to do it myself as well. Wendy Sachs, congratulations on being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. We wish you the very best and look forward to reading more of your books. I bet there will be more. Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, send us your nomination to No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. That's No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. I love reading all of your submissions and entries, so keep them coming. Also, you don't want to forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Seriously, it really does make a difference. It helps people find the podcast, and I really do read the reviews. I know it's maybe it's a little sad, but I do like to hear from all of you and I like to hear what you think. And we want to deliver the things that you want. So thank you for sharing those of you who have. And for those of you who haven't, if you'll take that minute and do it, we will really appreciate it. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use the hashtag No Limits. I also want to give a shout out to the team here that helps make this happen every week. My incredible producer, Taylor Dunn, our awesome editor, Michelle Boncardo, my fabulous research assistant, Annie Osakwe, David Rind at ABC Radio, and the rest of the fabulous team here at ABC Radio, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones. Thanks to all you who make it happen. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.